That's when it really feels like walkout music. What an honor to baptize this uh, little fella to come around his family, and I know y'all rejoice with us today. Hey, I want to begin this morning uh, squarely in Scripture. I will give you a second to turn to Ephesians 3. Those of you so inclined in a moment, not right now, but in a moment, we'll put it up on the screen. You guys know, as the sermon bumper video depicts, that we're in this series. This is week four of Battle Ready, and we've been looking at our identity, who we are in Christ. Chapters one, two, and three tell us who we are. It doesn't give us any commands, doesn't tell anybody what to do. That's in chapters four, five, and six. But we looked at week one that we're chosen in chapter one. We We looked at week two that we're strong in chapter two. Nick Crawford brought the word last minute notice there of week two. And then week three, last week, we looked at a chapter two, how we're alive. Remember, were you here? Did you get to listen online? We got a diagnosis in chapter two that we're dead, we're spiritually dead in our sins, but there is a cure and it comes to us through every willing heart, everyone in Christ, it comes to us in the the realm of grace. How many of us need grace today? That's God's good gift. Today we're going to be sermon number four, chapter three, looking at the reality that we are filled. I'm filled with God. Let's look at Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. Uh, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, that He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I want to start with where this starts. He says, for this very reason, he's talking about redemption. He's talking about God's love that is lavish. I think I've said it every week that a lot of times our love and our hearts and our homes and our relationships, that our love can be very scarce. Some of us are, it's awkward and weird to express our love. We don't like to tell the people that we live with that we love them. And it, God's love is different. It is a lavish love. There's no scarcity about it. It is, it is full and it is abundant. And for this reason, Paul says, you saw it. He says, I bow my knee, I bow to him. Now, the psalmist in Psalm 95 gives an invitation. It says, come to these ancient peoples, and I believe to us today, it says, come, let us kneel before the Lord our God. Let us bow before our maker. He is our God. Notice the language there. Let us come, let us kneel, let us bow. And in Paul's day, um, it was more common, the more popular position for Jewish prayer was to be standing. A year ago, Susan and I were with good friends over in Israel. We flew from New York uh, to Tel Aviv, and we went all around this country, Sea of Galilee, and a lot of uh, ancient, uh, wonderful, holy places. And our last uh, couple of days, we were in the city of Jerusalem. And you'll see there, uh, you'll see uh, people, uh, Jewish men. We were in the men's section of the, the Western Wall. Some call it the Wailing Wall. They, Jewish people refer to it as the Western Wall. It's a place of, of pilgrimage, a place of prayer. It's a sp- sacred place. There's my American friend who made the, the camera. But here you see the men are, the ones that are seated are looking at Scripture. They're reading, uh, revering the ancient text. And those who are standing, what are they doing? They're uh, against the wall and they're praying. That's a popular, the most popular uh, position 
for prayer. Now, every culture, uh, not in America so much, but every culture around the world uh, has uh, some sort of kneeling or bowing. If you've traveled to different parts of the world, you, you, you probably want to read the handbook, right? The Traveler's Guide. And you've probably been taken aback by someone who's bowed to you, or maybe you offended some native because you didn't bow toward them. But every culture, to some extent, has had a, a, a kneeling or bowing. Uh, it's a part of it. Uh, servants bow to superiors, slaves bow to masters, peasants bow to kings, offenders bow to judges. When a young man asks a lady to be his wife, he gets down on bended knee. And how long does he stay there? For the rest of his natural life. That's exactly right. We bow down, right? And when we bow down, to bow is to admit a need. Anybody buy that? To bow down is to admit a need. To bow down, this is what it means to me. Because before I preach the sermon, I wrestle with the sermon. I, I, I try to understand the passage and what it's saying. And before I speak it to you, I want to see what it's saying, what it says, and what it's saying to me in particular. And as I wrestled with it this week, I, I, I know that when I kneel, I'm trying to make it a practice to kneel. In fact, I work here, which is kind of a cool gig. So I get to come in here sometimes. I don't have to ask anybody. I can, usually I don't have to ask anybody. Sometimes there's things going on. But during the week and a, a part of my work day, I can come in here when I get overwhelmed and I can bow down right here and kneel before the Father. And my story personally is when I'm kneeling, when I'm bowing before the Father, I am learning that I cannot control the outcomes. And I don't know who else to hear that. Who else needs to hear this today? But there is so little of your life that you can control. And there's so little of my life that I can control. And here's what's weird about it. I'm becoming strangely energized by this reality. And I don't know who needs to hear it. I said it to our 930 congregation. I don't know who needs to hear this today. But when I'm kneeling before the Father, what I am learning is that in the midst of uncertainty, I can possess a joyful, confident, non-anxious presence. When I kneel. When I kneel before the Father. When is the last time that you've knelt? Do you kneel? Listen to this passage. Look at it. It's Acts 21 and verse 5. Stumbled upon it this week. When it was time to leave, I'm not going to give you much context. You're like, <gasps> preacher preaching without context. It's just not important. But listen to this just real quick. When, when it was time to leave, uh, early followers of Jesus, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. That'd be cool if there was a beach right outside, right? Especially on a day like today. By the way, thanks for coming to church. Extra credit in heaven for days like today when it's cool and rainy. But they, they gathered. And look real quick, this impressed me. I want to challenge the men in the room. All right, this is not an equality thing. This isn't a men are, you know, better than women by any... I mean, women are better than men if, if we have to take a side here. But I'm just saying men, there were wives and children... And there was something happening with kingdom work. And they went to the beach. That's cool. But what did they do? They knelt and they prayed. When I stumbled upon that passage thinking about kneeling before the Father from Ephesians 3, I thought of this story and how uh, more and more they were realizing that they needed the Father and they weren't ashamed to kneel. And listen, their family saw them kneel. And can I say that's spiritual leadership? It's not barking out commands. It's not a strong voice and a stern reprimand. It's not, you know, going uh, all testosterone on your wife and kids. Not at all. The strength of a man and the leadership that they need, that the world needs today, is men who will kneel. And I'm going to invite you, if you're, your, if you're a first-time guest, you can kind of check out, no obligation here, but I'm going to invite everybody who will today for us to kneel 
down front at the end of the service, okay? I'm going to give you a little more information, a little more hopefully motivation on that, not any manipulation, but when's the last time you've knelt? And there's a humble posture to it. And he is saying in this beautiful prayer that turns into praise, it turns into doxology. Ever happened to you? Like you pray and you're, you, you, what takes you to prayer is your pain, it's your hurt, it's your need, it's the uncertainty. It's that you're worn down. But then you start praying and things start melting away and your problems are going to st- still be there when you get up. But there's something happens. And in that time, a few minutes or a few hours or half a day, whatever it is, things begin to melt away and you get perspective. How important is perspective? And then all of a sudden, your problem is not what you're praying for anymore. You're, you're, you break out into a doxology of praise. And that's what happens here. And Paul says, we kneel before the Father. For this very reason, we kneel before the Father. And he talks about in the next passage about being strengthened. Being strengthened in the inner man. In 2013, some of you are going to recall some tidbits of this story. In 2013, about six years ago, a Florida man, a 37-year-old Florida man named Jeffrey Rush, he died suddenly in his home when his house collapsed. A sinkhole occurred suddenly and a 20-foot-wide hole developed and it went 40 feet under and he went under and they, there was a recovery effort and they found him 20, more than 24 hours later, they recovered him. And he lost his life so suddenly. And the experts say, this was in Tampa, in Hillsborough County. And the experts say that underneath in the southeast region of the United States, particularly in the south part of Florida, that limestone rock, which limestone is very porous. And this limestone rock was slowly dissolved by acidic rain. And they couldn't, they couldn't see it on the surface, but something happened suddenly because of what happened slowly underneath. Let me say it again. Something happened suddenly on the outside, but it was caused by something slowly happening underneath. When I was in college, I read a book by Gordon McDonald called Ordering Your Private World. And I read it again recently because I need to read this. And in this book, profoundly he says, adopting language and teaching from the Apostle Paul, he says that you and I, everybody manages two worlds. Now, I watch my wife. She's a, she's, she works here and she's a mother of three and a wife and a friend. And she manages a whole lot more worlds than two, like you moms. But all of us, we manage two worlds, Gordon McDonald says, in ordering your private world. And the outer world, you get that. The outer world is career, possessions, social network. The outer world is what, uh, as I'm stating the obvious, the outer world is what is visible. It's what's attainable or measurable and expandable. The outer world is easy, and hear me, it demands your attention. Like you say, you don't know me. I, I do know you. And you devote much of your life to your outer world. Uh, you devote much of your life to your outer world. It demands your attention, and that's the easy thing. That's the easy thing to do and the easy thing to work on. It's your outer world, career, possession, social network, etc. The inner world, it's your values. It's where character is formed. It's where you have the opportunity to practice and experience habits that bring you life or take life away from you. It could be confession, worship, Humility, as we've been talking about, but it's your inner world. And this is the world that gets neglected, ignored, and cheated. 
Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 4 to the church at Corinth, he would say, dropping some poetry on him, he would say the outward man is wasting away, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. You ever heard that? The outward man is wasting away in Margaritaville, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. Susan and I were looking at pictures from when Fondren Church started. That was seven. That was 2011. And we were looking at the pictures, noticing that we don't quite look the same. She does, I don't. But you know, we, the outward man, is wasting away. Have you, look at some pictures. Some of you posted pictures. What was that thing that was going on with social media? The first, your first picture you ever posted on Facebook compared to your photo now. I looked at some of you. Your outward man is wasting away, okay? But, but, if not cheated, ignored, and neglected, if you're being strengthened from the inside, you can say with him that your inner person is being renewed day by day. And that's a different kind of strength. It's not like this guy. It's not preacher curls, right? It's not going to the gym and doing some of this stuff. It's a different kind of strength. It's a strength that says, hey, and even Paul said this. I think that's coming up that we posted this week. But Paul said this in the inside to Timothy. He said, uh, no, no, not that. It was the photo from social media. Yeah, there we go. Uh, you saw this uh, this week. Uh, I do anything for love, right? Uh, I thought that if we got posing for this picture, I would get free membership into Fondren Fitness, but apparently we have to pay dues like everybody else. But it's not strange. Here's what Paul said to Timothy. Paul said, go ahead, take it down now. Paul said to Timothy, he said, he said, bodily exercise, somebody needs to hear this, bodily exercise profits little. Now, some of you need to go work out with me at Fondren Fitness when they open. But bodily exercise profits little it, because godliness is what counts. This is 2 Timothy 4.8. Godliness affects this life and the life to come. And so there's this strength that we need to develop in the inward man. It's not preacher curls. It's not the gym. It's in the realm of godliness. It's ordering your private world and being strengthened there. There's a, a story that I appreciate of a strong man at a circus. And the strong man at the circus, at the end of his show, he would invite everybody attending for some sort of a competition or spectacle. He would, he would uh, just basically take a sponge with his muscles and he would drain every drop of water out of the sponge and challenge the people. If anybody could come up and, and they were stronger, they had the strength to take the sponge and just get one drop of water, just one drop, he would give them $100. But as the story is told, nobody ever collected because nobody could. Until one day, a geeky, nerdy, skinny, scrawny young guy came up and he took the sponge from the strong man and it, he not only got a drop out, he got a full glass of water and stunned the strong man said, who are you and what do you do? And the little geeky, nerdy, skinny, scrawny man said, I work for the IRS. We kind of enjoy, we kind of appreciate, right, people that can get things out. We appreciate more than that. We appreciate um, unseen power in unexpected places. And sometimes we get it wrong. In fact, can I say this history? Like we, this building was built in 1948. And we got stained glass and pews. And it reminds us every time we enter into this place that our faith is a historic faith. And the church has got it wrong every single time we thought power is this kind of power. When we thought power was lording it over other people. When we thought power was something to display our strength. And according to Paul, according to the earliest followers of Jesus, oh yeah, by the way, according to Jesus himself, strength is renewed in an inner person and is it's unseen power in an unexpected place. And that can be you. 
That can be me. That can be us. And that's the strength that he talks about in this prayer, in this prayer that breaks into a doxology of praise. And he talks about in in Ephesians, there's two Greek words for dwell, the word dwell. He says that this strength would form, it'd be rooted and grounded and established in you. It would dwell inside of you. And that word there in Ephesians 2, he says dwell, and it's a a temporary dwelling place. Um, Carrie Underwood has a song, this is my temporary home. That's what Paul talks about in Ephesians 2. He says that you're dwelling here just for a little while. But in Ephesians 3, the word dwell is a different Greek word, and it means eternal. He's saying, hey, Christ dwells in you, and you haven't seen anything yet. You haven't seen nothing yet, and that's an eternal dwell. Susan, I have a joke. I shouldn't tell you about it, but it's a joke. It's really my joke that she indulges uh, with me in very uh, frustratingly. But I, uh, in moments when I've been discouraged, particularly a few years ago, um, I would go home to her and, uh, you know, Fondren Church uh, is, of course, the initials are FC. We met uh, 25 years ago in Fort Collins. It also bears the initials FC. So I would joke with her. I'll fall into bed and I'll say, oh, baby, we missed it. God's not calling us to... We met, we, we got the wrong FC. He's not calling us to Fonder Church. He's calling us to Fort Collins. Like, we need to go back to where we met. And she reminds me that God's called us here, that we need to be strengthened and established and rooted, and we need to dwell here. She told me one day, she was so frustrated by my little joke, and she said, look, we're called here. Like, this is my house. I want to live here until I die, and then I want to be buried in the backyard. And ever since then, that was a couple of years ago, I've remembered when we get in arguments, I remember the words that she said about being buried in the backyard. But anyway, there, there is a, there's, a, there's a temporary dwelling place and there is an eternal dwelling place. And Paul is saying, this is eternal. Ch- chapter three, anybody wants to dig deeper, talk about it in your small group. This is an eternal dwelling that he is talking about here. And he says that God is able. He says that we serve a God who is able. So let me draw a contrast between God and you. Let me draw a contrast between God and me. No circumstance surprises him. No situation catches him off guard. No obstacle thwarts him. No problem gets him down. Nothing overcomes him. That's a contrast with me and a contrast with you. But I want to say today, flowing from Ephesians 3 in this series called Battle Ready, in this sermon called I Am Filled, I want somebody, some people to leave today with a sense, and maybe you'll kneel today before you go, but just to have a sense that our God is able. So let me preach for a moment about our God being able. Our God is able to do anything and to do everything, no matter what you're going through right now. He is able to deliver. When I was a little guy, the age of Abel's who got baptized a moment ago, I learned the story that some of you have learned in the book of Daniel about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Say it with me, church. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Just making sure you're awake. You remember this story. And they went through this fiery furnace and God allowed them to go through it, okay? And you know what we preach around here. We don't stand up here and say to anybody that God's not going to allow you to go through things. Because some of you are going through things. Just nod your head. This is not real big personal confession. Just nod your head if you're going through something today. Anybody going through something? I'm nodding my head to prompt you to nod your head, but I'm actually nodding my head whether you were nodding your head or not. Like, like we, I better nod my head, but like, how many of you are going through something? And you're going to go through something. 
But it wasn't, I, no, no Sunday school teacher, I don't blame him, but no Sunday school teacher taught me this. And I didn't really appreciate this until my adult years. But this phrase is in Daniel chapter 3, descriptive of this narrative. And it says, there was no smell of fire on them. No smell of fire on who? Say it again. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There was no smell of fire on them. Wait a second, they had been through the fire. Everybody is going through something. Some of you have just been through something. All of us will be going through something. And here's what I've learned. Everybody in the room has been burned in a relationship, burned by a church, burned in a business deal, and you've been burned. But can I just say, some of you, it's all you talk about. It's all you talk about, and you smell like what you've been through. And I want to say today, look, I'm, I'm right here. I've I'm, I'm got an earthly tent. I'm dwelling in this world where you're dwelling. I'm facing a lot that you're facing. And I just want to say before God and my church today, I don't want to smell like everything I've been through. I don't want to smell like everything I've been through. Little, a grandpa was asleep in his bedroom and three grandkids were around him and they decided to put uh, Lindberger cheese on his handlebar mustache. And when they did, he, he woke up from his nap and he was stinking. And he said, whew, old man with a handlebar mustache. He said, this, boy, this bedroom stinks. He got up, went to the kitchen. Boy, this kitchen stinks. He went outside. He said, this whole world stinks. And at what point, if every room you go into stinks, at what point, especially if you're out in God's country in this expansive outside world, at what point when everything stinks do you realize the stank is on you? Now, that's different. Now, some of you are like, wow, what a, what a, man, this guy is not bringing compassion right now. Again, I, I, you're going to be burned. And I've been burned. But you don't have to smell like it. In fact, to the church at Corinth, Paul would say, Corinth and Ephesus have a lot that are interchangeable. He talks to the Corinthians about his time at Ephesus. Second Corinthians says this, For we are to God the pleasing what? Aroma. Of Christ. It's different now for people that are saved or unsaved to those who are saved and those who are perishing. It's a different aroma. Okay? But we're an aroma. We're a fragrant aroma. God is able. Our Father is able. He's able to deliver you. And listen to me today. He's able to provide for you. Do you know the Bible talks about money uh, 2,340 times? That's a lot. And I believe the Bible talks about money and it invites people like me to talk to you about money. And I try to do it carefully and winsomely and creatively, right? And I don't know if this part will be anything like that, but I want to say to you today, the Bible talks about money because you will never know God is a provider unless you become a giver. I'm talking to young people too, okay? Because this, my journey started when I was a kid. Right? And we stand here today saying, we give God our first and our best and we ask Him to bless the rest. And can I tell you, He always does. And that's our story, okay? So don't be nice to me, okay? Don't discount my story, all right? I know you're thinking, okay, I'm, I'm like the IRS agent. I'm trying to squeeze something more out of you. But hear me just for a second. Look what it says in Proverbs about having an eye. He who has a generous eye will be blessed. Now, everybody's got an eye for something. Do you agree? Some of you have an eye for fashion. Some of you don't have an eye for fashion. 
Some of you have an eye for design. Some of you, these are, you're my people now. Some of you have an eye for detail. I love the Nick Crawfords and people that God has given to Fondren Church because they have an eye for detail. A few years ago, Brent Shorter, Tyler Hendricks, and a couple of guys, we went gator hunting. I'm not a big hunter, but they invited me. We had a, a lotto ticket or something, and we went, we went gator hunting, and we drugged some big gators. We went ghetto style and killed them and rolled them in the boat. And I was with Tyler's brother, and these guys, they have an eye for the outdoors. Like they are knowing how to do it. Matt Thornton was with them. They, We have an eye for, they have an eye for all these things outdoors. I'm like, dude, you need to get your own TV show. It was, it was an amazing thing. Thing. do you have an eye for the needs in the world do you have an eye for the needs in the world there's a pastor named craig rochelle he talks about 3d giving about how we see the world he says there's a few ways to give spontaneous strategic and sacrificial and you know i'm going to say this i invite you on this journey to experience all three and spontaneous giving, does anybody remember Jesus said one time, he taught his earlier followers, and it wasn't an obligatory thing, it wasn't an obligation thing, it was an illustration thing for them to start to get that we live in a different world and we ought to live differently. We ought to think globally. We ought to think about what our consumerism is doing to our planet and to our people and everything around the world and what we really need and what we don't need and when our wants blow up to excess. And he says, Craig Rochelle says, that a spontaneous giver has an eye for what's happening in the world. Do we? Do you? Does our church? Are we going to be lean and mean and be the church that will honor God in this world today? Jesus taught. He said, if someone asked for your shirt, y'all remember this? Luke 6. If someone asked for your shirt, anybody remember how he finishes that? By the way, you know the expression, uh, you know, so-and-so will give you the shirt off their back? That's from Jesus. I don't know if you knew that. That's from Jesus. If someone asks you for your shirt, what? Give them your cloak also. And that's when he began to teach about extra mile giving. By the way, anybody impressed with mediocrity? Anybody impressed with consumerism? Anybody impressed with living your life for safety and comfort? Parents, grandparents, look at me for a second. Your kids are built for so much more. And... Quit helicoptering over them, to borrow an expression, and release them to the world to be what God intended them to be. And that's going to mean some danger. And that's going to mean some, you're up, your security is going to be upset. Your parental apple cart is going to be pushed over. But release your kids. And hear me now. Jesus said extra mile living. Go the extra mile. Spontaneous giving. The second mode of giving, it'll come up again, is strategic giving. Isaiah 32 puts it this way. I love this. Generous people plan to do what is generous. They have a plan. They don't stumble into it. They actually have a budget. They have a budget, a plan to do what is generous. And look, they stand firm in their generosity. No matter the glittering lights and the sales and the Amazon, if you, people who bought this product also liked this product. They had a plan, listen to me, and they stuck with it. Here's what I want to say. I want to God brag in front of you today. Even if you're a guest, I would love for you to hear this because I've told our finance team and our executive pastor, I want our church when it comes to money, I want us to not blush when we talk about it. And I want us to challenge us to live differently. And as a church, we ask people to consider the tithe because the Bible teaches that and Jesus never changed it. And we as a church, we take the tithe and double it and that's what we give away. 
In our church, we want to lead with integrity, transparency, and generosity. If you want to have a cup of coffee and talk more about this, I, want, I think about this every day as I lead Fondren. I want to inspire people's generosity. Like, I want you to trust us. And I know there's a lot of not trust in the world today, and I get it. Like, I'm intuitively skeptical myself. But so much money is flowing here and through here, I just want to say that bragging on God, we stood on the stage and we did a series called Love Gives and we invited you to give. And we did it not because of what we wanted from you, first and foremost, but what we wanted for you. But of course, we knew that we needed to see God continue to provide. And do you know that every single year, our church has grown in its giving? And this year was the first time in our seven and a half year history where we eclipsed $2 million. And I learned just recently that we hit almost $2.2 million in giving last year. And with 20% of that going to missions, to strategic partnerships, benevolence needs, and helping people, if we continue at that pace this time next year, as a church in eight years, we will have given away $2 million out these doors. Isn't that great? And that's a God thing. Now quit clapping because you're not going to want to. Nick told me and our team told me. And by the way, the, the finance team, you know, people on finance team, you know what they are? They're worriers. They just, God just gave them the gift of worry. And they just worry and they worry and they were around me worried. I'm like, y'all go worry over there because I don't want to worry. I want to trust God. Y'all are worrying. And then they started telling me stuff. And I'm like, dude, I'm worrying now because you're worrying and the numbers and everything. So we just preached and we just prayed. And I came in here and knelt my... I knelt before the Father. And can I tell you, we had the best year and the best December and we crushed it in December. We crushed it in December. And now, you know what? If you keep giving, we're going to put a new roof on the gym. And we're going to be able, I would think, um, I'm getting in trouble with Nick. I think by this summer, we can put a floor in and we're going to start recreating and opening the kitchen and blessing and mentoring more kids than ever if we keep going. But here's where you probably don't want to clap. I don't look at your giving. But I'll say to you what, that, what I've learned from our finance team, that 20% of us gave 80% of the dollars. And that's why if you were me and you believed in a mission bigger than a person and bigger than a building, you would stand up here and challenge our people to give spontaneously, but not just spontaneously, that you would have a plan. You'll never be generous without a plan. You'll never, we don't have, if we didn't give first, if we didn't give first and best and trust God for the rest, we wouldn't have anything left over. And I bet most of you wouldn't either. And I want to challenge you to become a giver and to have a plan for giving. And hear me now. You're like, where's he from Ephesians 3? God is able to provide for you. And you will never know his provision unless you jump in the money game. And it's all his to begin with. I was with a pastor this week, different dude than me. He preaches soulfully in a church in the city. He goes, man, RG, the tithe, brother, you need to tell your church that ain't giving. That's not robbing God. Anything over the tithe is giving. I'm not that hardcore. That's my brother in Christ. I love him. Now, I don't have enough courage to tell you that. I'm just telling you what he told me that, <laughs> that, uh, that one day I'm going to tell y'all. So do we fight about money? Yes. Do we fight a good bit about money? Yes, but we're saving and we're giving and there's a plan. And some of you do and some of you inspire me, but most of you don't. Most of you don't. And y'all, we are a sleeping giant. If you join us and you'll never know God is a provider unless you do it. Somebody say something back there. What'd you say? 
Say it louder. Come on now. I need y'all when I'm talking about money. God is able to deliver. God is able to provide. And he is able, I'm closing up now. He is able to do what we ask. And Paul says as he wraps it up, he says, he is able to do what we ask. But that's not enough. He says he's able to do what we ask or imagine. But that's not enough. He says that he's able to do all that we ask or imagine. But that's not enough. He says that we're, he's able to do more than all that we ask or imagine. He's able, that's not even enough. Like Paul's getting fanatical and wide-eyed. He's starting to spit. And he's saying God can do more, immeasurably more, abundantly more, all that we can ask or think or imagine. And then, real fast, because I'm out of time, he uses a weird expression, glory in the church. A week ago, I left the sanctuary I always, I leave when the last of you leaves. I've talked to the last person. And then I kind of broke rank from the norm and I didn't eat. I went to my office and I read an article from the Houston Chronicle about the church in America today. And it is damning and scathing and ugly and vile. A story of uh, the largest denomination in our country and cover-up, and predatory uh, involvement with children and minors. And what Jesus said long ago is true. John 10, Acts 20, 1 Timothy 3, that in the church there will be, there will be wolves, and they will be dressed, what, anybody know? They'll be dressed like sheep. And I used to read that and think, oh, that's just doctrinal. They got, they got heresy, false teaching, you know, just debate them and, and uh, kick them out or whatever. But like, they're predators, like they're evil people in our midst, in our ranks. And I read that, and I think, God help us. And honestly, what Jesus said is true. What we hold in secret will be brought to light. And I believe that God is using the media and secular sources. That's fine with me. He's using those things and those people to bring to light what the church needs to focus on. And I see the evil and what's vile and scathing. And that other word I use that I'm going to get some emails on. And I see that and I think, Paul, really? Glory in the church? The heavens declare the glory of God, Psalm 19. I can see the glory of God in the heavens, but in the church? You remember the Muppet Show? Remember these guys? So it's going to be a tough day to sit in the balcony. These guys sat in the balcony. Statler and Waldorf, is that their names? I'm looking at you older guys. And before the movie Two Grumpy Old Men, these were the original Two Grumpy Old Men. And these guys in the Muppet Show would sit in the balcony and they would be critical of what? Everything. Critical of everything. There's a great Winston Churchill quote about who's in the gallery and who's in the arena and it's really stirring and I don't have time to share it. But there there they are, the Muppets and the the grumpy guys in the balcony and they're critical of everything. And if they were here at church, they they would sit in the balcony and uh, they would complain about the seating and uh, not the sermons, but they would complain about the parking and the coffee and this and that. And it's so easy to be critical in the church. But Jesus loves it and dies for it. And when wolves get in it and it gets off course or begins to drift, He'll refine it and humble it and make it new all over again. And He desires the church not to be an institution because when the early church formed, it was, you ready? It was bold, it was creative, it was non-bureaucratic, it was Jesus-centered and gospel-focused. It was a place where the last became first and the least were the greatest and the servants were the heroes and outsiders were made insiders and the weak 
weak were made strong and a father celebrated and loved and cherished the marginalized. And every time a prodigal son or daughter would come home, a father would sing and celebrate and dance. That's the father that we serve. That's the church that I want to be, where I want to lead us. Jennifer and the team are going to come to lead us before we go. And I want us today, again, no coercion, no manipulation, no showmanship. But I want you to join me, anybody that wants to join me. Just as the early church left the city and went to the beach with wives and children and they knelt and prayed, I want to invite you, anybody who will, today to come. If you want to join with me, I did at the 9.30. Look, I'll be all alone. Don't let me be all alone. God, God knows somebody loves me enough to come kneel next to me and put your arm around me just out of sheer pity. But I want to open this place up. I'm not going to stand today and take prayer for anybody, but I want to invite anybody who will today who wants to kneel before the Father and kneel before your brothers and sisters and say, there's a need. And maybe your need today is to see God to see that He's able. To see that He's able to deliver you. To see that He's able to provide for you. To see that He's able to do what you ask. And hey, join with me in praying for glory in this church. That His glory would be made manifest. Would you stand with me today? Father, I pray. Uh, We're on the clock and we have schedules. The sands of time are passing through the hourglass. But Lord, in these moments, in this song, for a few, receive us. Receive our need, receive our confession, receive our gratitude. Receive our brokenness. Remove our pride. if we need to raise our hand, if we need to lift our voices, if we want to kneel in this place, you be worshipped. You come today if you would. Let freedom reign for just a few.